Okay. Now I got it. <laughs> My name is Chris Roberts, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris, for our scripture lesson and what a joy it was to have the children sing for us. It's always a blessing <clears throat> to have the little school uh, coming and being a part of our worship service. And children always bring such joy <laughs> to our time of worship. So thank you for doing that. Uh, as we prepare for this moment together, <clears throat> I want to invite you to join me in a time of prayer because we can center ourselves, asking God's spirit to lead us and to open our minds and our hearts. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we just pause in this moment to thank you for your Holy Spirit, which we believe is in this place among us. Thank you for children, God, for families who seek to nurture them in the way of Christ. And we ask now that you nurture us <clears throat> through your word. <clears throat> Open our hearts and our minds as we have praised you with our lips. Now, God, speak to us through your word. And I ask that you use my words and, uh, as a way to bring glory to you. I humbly offer myself to you that this place my words, the meditation of our hearts together, be pleasing to you, would draw us closer to you. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are actually in the midst of a series of sermons here at this church where we are learning about our Methodist history, our heritage, and what it means to be a Methodist Christian. And uh, we're actually participating in a journey that is going on with our what we call our confirmation class. These are young people in around the sixth grade, 12-year-old area where they're also exploring our heritage and they're exploring uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so last week we began, and I began by giving you an introduction to a guy by the name of John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement. And I was sort of laying the foundation uh, for this series by going over some basic tenets of what it means to be a, a Methodist and a Methodist Christian. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the history of the early Christian movement and trying to discover something about you know, what is the heart and the character of a Methodist? Now, for some of you, this is a review of things that you learned growing up in the Methodist church, and you've been lifelong members. Maybe you went to confirmation class when you were younger and confirmed your faith <clears throat> later on. But for others of you, you didn't grow up in the Methodist church. And I know we have some visitors with us here today. And uh, so, you know, what I'm going to be sharing with you is kind of some new information. And, you know, we as Methodists don't claim to have the, the only way to believe, we believe we are one of many ways that God is reaching this world through uh, the Methodist Church, and uh, we value all other denominations that God's trying to reconcile this world unto himself. And so, uh, yet, the Methodist Church has some uniquenesses about it, and for us, who are members of this church, it's good for us to be re reminded of this, because our, our heritage really shapes so much of who we are today as Zachary United Methodist Church, and it can shape the kind of Christians that we strive to be in the future. 
And so our heritage is very important and for our understanding. Now, before I get to um, looking at the historical background that shapes our heritage, I want to share with you the foundation for how we as Methodists determine what we believe about matters of faith. I have a lot of people ask me, well, what do Methodists believe? And that's a broad subject. It varies on a lot of different items. But one of the ways that we determine what we believe um, about faith issues comes from something that we call the Wesley Quadrilateral. Any of y'all remember that from your confirmation studies or uh, growing up in the Methodist Church and Methodist history? Wesley, John Wesley Quadrilateral. Uh, well, John Wesley said that we need certain tools, certain resources that we can use to help determine the things that we believe in about faith. Otherwise, we're just going to have a subjective faith. We're going to pick and choose what we want to believe in, what uh, we like about faith. And, and so you end up, uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, how do you determine what is right and what is wrong, what is authentic faith and what is, what is not, if you don't have some basis for that? If you don't, then people just end up believing whatever they want to believe. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in this world who are doing just that. So Wesley said that there are certain resources that we can use to determine what we believe about faith matters. Now, a quadrilateral is a four-sided object, kind of like a square. And uh, you see this on the screen here. Now, Wesley's quadrilateral has on it four bases of authority by which we determine the things we believe when it comes to faith. You see them there. It's scripture, it's tradition, it's experience, and reason. These four things we are to use. These are the tools and resources. Now, when I talk about the Western Cordial, I prefer to use this model that you see up here with a stool because of those four things, something has to be primary, most important. Otherwise, you kind of end up with a theological deadlock about, okay, how do I make decisions if everything's equal? Well, for Wesley, the most important source of authority for us as Christians is Scripture. Uh, we believe that human beings, both the Bible, but... Um, it was inspired by God. And so scripture is the primary basis for our understanding of faith and shaping what we want to believe in. So if there's things that you want to believe that are not in the Bible, then that's going to raise some serious questions for us. Um, it, it may be that you do believe some things that are not actually in the Bible because the Bible, in no way that it can uh, cover all aspects of faith. It doesn't address all aspects of faith. So uh, you may believe some things that are not in the Bible, and that's okay. But um, there are certain things that you just have to extrapolate from the Bible and try to apply those principles to our life today because it's not uh, spoken uh, clearly about that. And, and uh, if, you're, if you're teaching something or if you're believing something that's in opposition to what the Bible teaches, then that's going to raise some serious red flags for us because we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to us about what is truth. What is real? What is right? What is God's will for our lives? Now, the challenge is that you can make the Bible say almost anything you want. You can use it to justify almost any position you want to if you take things out of context. And there are a lot of people today who take certain verses, they pick and choose certain verses to apply to certain positions or to support their position about something. And that's unfortunate. But uh, what we have to try to do is to figure out the, what is the right way, a way that rightly interprets Scripture? Now, we've been criticized for this. Some people say, Methodists, you Methodists interpret Scripture, but we take Scripture at face value. 
Well, the truth is, uh, there is no such thing as taking Scripture just at face value. Because every time you read anything, you're reading it through the lens of your own personal experience and understanding. So there's no way that you can objectively read Scripture uh, because everything we read, anytime you go to Scripture, you're reading it subjectively through your own experience. That's just part of being human. Our challenge is to try to understand what those biblical authors really intended when they wrote down the things they did. And we do that by looking at the historical context. What was going on in that time? What were the issues that prompted this writing? And how do we uh, apply those principles to our life and to our circumstances today? This is what it means to interpret the scriptures. So Wesley that we need to uh, have some tools that will help us to rightly interpret scripture. And so he said it's important to know what the early Christian church had to say about Scripture, how they understood things. So we look at the early Christian church. We look at the, uh, the uh, church throughout history, even today, and he referred to this as being tradition. A tradition is not a book that you can go buy at Books A Million. A tradition is the writings and the reflections of the church about the Bible throughout history and even today. Uh, Wesley said there is value in knowing what people in the early Christian church, how they understood things, how they reflected upon what Scripture had to teach. In fact, um, they deduced certain theological truths that they summarized in what we call the creeds today, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and various other creeds. Uh, These were the ways that the early Christian church summarized what they believed the Scriptures were actually teaching. Now, Wesley believed that the Holy Spirit was this whole process of interpreting Scripture. And even today, when we read the Bible, we believe the Holy Spirit helps us in interpreting what it means for our life today. That's just part of the process. So Scripture was very primary, and tradition was a part of that. So we utilize tradition in the shaping of what we believe in. But Wesley also said that we, all, we also have this uh, personal experience of the Holy Spirit, and that is important to shaping our faith as well. But he was always very cautious to say you need to hold up your experience of the Holy Spirit and let it be measured by what Scripture says and what tradition of the church has said about these things. Because sometimes we misunderstand the Holy Spirit and our experience. When you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit does speak to us. But sometimes we can hear something that is in contradiction with what the rest of the Bible says. Or it's in opposition to what the tradition of the church has said about these things. So, again, you have to use these resources together to formulate your understanding of what to believe in. So we use scripture, we use tradition, we use our our experience of the Holy Spirit and our Christian journey. And then finally, we use reason. Reason is the ability to uh, ask serious questions of the Bible, of Christian theology. We ask serious questions of what the church, how it's interpreted things over time, and of our own personal experience. In other words, we have a brain that God gave us and expects us to use it. So these four things are the basis of authority that we use to help determine the things that we believe in, what is right, and what is the proper way of interpreting Scripture, and so on. And these are powerful tools. And you are to use these tools when you have questions about your faith or when you come across some crazy idea on the Internet or maybe you have someone that's teaching something that's questionable. You bring these resources together to kind of check that out and understand what's, what's really truth there. These are the ways that we use to determine what we believe in as Methodists. All right, I'm going to go now to this 
historical background uh, for how we understand the heart and the character of a Methodist Christian. This past week, you know, we had a few cold days. I had a, last, last weekend, we had it got down to the 40s, and I just had this overwhelming urge to go build a fire in the fireplace. Any of y'all do that? And I was like, oh, build a fire. But then I thought, it's kind of a crazy idea of building a fire in the middle of April. <clears throat> but I, I love fires in the fireplace. I love to, to build a fire when I'm out camping. I, I love to uh, make a fire in the backyard, the patio, and it gets a cool evening. But, but here's the thing about fires. If you don't pay attention to your fire, and if you don't uh, feed it and, and add you know, fuel to it, it's going to grow down dim, and finally, eventually, it's going to go out, right? But the same is true when it comes to our faith. And for religious movements, we see the same thing happening. If we don't pay attention to our faith, if we're not trying to find ways to continually stoke the fire and, and add fuel to the flame, then our faith grows dim. It becomes cold. We experience a distance in our relationship with God. And eventually, we find ourselves pursuing things that we have no business pursuing as Christians. This is actually the story of the Bible. If you read the Bible, you understand there at the very beginning, the Israelites had this tremendous experience of God and his power uh, by them, God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And they experienced the glory of God and all the miracles and of Moses. And, and then um, Moses dies, and they continue to experience God's leadership through Joshua, who leads them into the promised land. But then Joshua dies. And this is what we read in uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, after Joshua dies. <clears throat> Another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, this is the story that you find repeated over and over again throughout Scripture. You have God delivering the people. They're in trouble. God delivers them. And after this, they cry out to God, Oh, yes, Lord, you are our God. We're going to follow you all the days of our life. And then a few generations pass, and they forget about what God did. And they grow distant from God, and they begin to do things that they shouldn't do. They find themselves in trouble, and they cry out to God. They repent, and God delivers them. And then they say, Oh, yes, God, you are our Lord. We're going to follow you all the days of our life. And once again, a few generations down the road, you find them forgetting about what God has done. They, they begin to go astray from God and start doing things they shouldn't. They end up in trouble. God delivers them. They repent and they cry out. And God, you know, the people cry out once again, yes, you are our God. We're going to follow you all the days of our life. And you see this cycle going over and over and over again all throughout Scripture. This is the story of it. But that's not only an Israelite problem. This is also our story. And we see this happening over again throughout the 2,000-year history of the Christian church. This continues the same cycle is repeated over and over again. That's actually what we're finding taking place in our scripture lesson for this morning. Here you have Jesus. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul. Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he did in any other church that he established. Tradition says that the Virgin Mary ended up living out her days here in Ephesus, and she died in Ephesus. And then the disciple John, after he was released from Patmos, the island there with the penal colony, he spent his last days through at Ephesus, and he ended up dying there as well. But then listen to what we read. The Spirit of God says to Jesus, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Again, this is part of that cycle we see going over and over again. The church has lost its way. Um, They have forgotten who Jesus is. They still call themselves Christian throughout history, no matter what. But they end up doing some things that are very unchristian because God is a distant reality to them. And then God would light a fire in somebody's heart like Luther or like Calvin or like Zwigli. And, and then they would call the church to task and they would call the church accountable. And they would say to the church, you know, we're not doing what the early Christian church did. We're not living like we should be. We need to go back to the way of the Bible. And so there was this great reformation that took place over the 18th century. Over time, what happened to those Lutherans and those Presbyterians and those followers of Zwigli? Well, the same thing that happens in a cyclical way. I mean, a few generations later, they forgot what the ancestors had done. And they actually fell into the same sins that their grandfathers had protested against. Well, it was into this world that John Wesley was born in 1703. The Protestant Reformation had swept across Europe, but by the time of John Wesley, it had been all but forgotten. John Wesley had been ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church, and yet he looked at the priest of his day, and he began to feel empty inside. Something was missing in his life. He watched as the religious leaders were living lives that were very inconsistent with the gospel. The people knew the things out in their head, but they weren't living it out. It was part of their heart. So John Wesley began to seek to find what was missing, to experience more of God in his life. And last week we talked about how he had this transforming experience at Aldersgate where he personally experienced the love of God in his life and he experienced the power of God's grace. And then from that time forward, he went out preaching about this message of God's love. And he said, you know, it's, being a Christian is more than just becoming a member of the church. Being a Christian is more than being baptized and sitting in the pews of a church. There's something much more to that. We are called to respond to this unbelievable love that God has for us and of his grace. And we're called to be about making a difference in the world in response to that. Wesley realized the church was in trouble. And so he began to confront and he began to call out the religious leaders of his day. And, and um, he began to, to act, tell them that you know, you, those who are living inconsistent lives need to come back. Come back to the right way, the, the biblical way of belief. Wesley began to call his fellow priest into accountability as well. At one of the early Christian conferences that happened, Wesley was at, and he made a statement that we believe is part of who we are today as Methodists. He said, Methodists are to be about reforming the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural holiness over all the land. So this is the part of the heart of being a Methodist. We are supposed to be about transforming, about um, revitalization and re- renewal of faith. We are to be about looking for how we can be the salt of the earth in the world. How do we make a difference in this world for Christ? We're spreading scriptural holiness across the land. That means we're seeking to reach people for Christ and helping to come back to the faith and to come back to lives of holiness. This is part of who we are. In fact, it's actually summarized in our current mission statement as a denomination. 
that we are, as, as Methodists, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This is who we believe, what we believe that we're supposed to be about as Methodists, Christians in the world today. But it's interesting that 200 years ago, you have the uh, Christian church in need of reform and revitalization, and John Wesley was a part of that. But we look at the church today, and we find that we, who were once known as reformist, revivalist, well, we're finding our own selves in need of renewal and reformation today. The truth is, our denomination, along with many mainline denominations, have been in decline over 40 years. We used to be known as the shouting Methodists. We used to be known for being on fire with enthusiasm for God. Do you know what denomination that people call us outside the denomination? They call us God's frozen chosen. <laughs> Why do they call us that? Well, it's because what's happened to us has happened to every movement, religious movement that's ever been a part. It's, we've kind of grown cold in our faith. We have forgot our soul. We forgot our story. We forgot what we are to be about as we were at first. Our faith has grown lukewarm and cold. How many of you grew up going to summer camp as a kid? Yeah, yeah a lot of you here. I, I, every year during summertime, I look forward to growing up. I'd go to summer camp, and, and it was always a highlight. And kids who went to summer camp usually had this powerful experience of God when they went there. And it's something we still advocate today. I've got Camp Struma down here that we uh, hope the kids go to. But a lot of kids have decided they want to be a part of a summer youth trip now, like Big Stuff, right? And our youth group it goes to Big Stuff every year. And, and when you go on these kind of trips or summer camp, you have this powerful experience of God in your life. And some of you uh, actually give your life to Christ in those moments. And it's, it's a wonderful experience. But when I used to lead camps, uh, we'd come to Friday night, the last night of the camp. We'd always have this bonfire and everybody get around with guitars and we'd sing and have this worship service. And teenagers would come down, they'd give their life to Christ and they were all crying. And it was just this awesome experience. And you always left camp just waiting to get back home. You couldn't wait to go tell your parents and your friends about Jesus and how you're going to read the Bible every day and how you're going to pray every day and how you were so close to God and you're just going to continue that relationship forever. Then you get back home. The same old friends, the same old family problems, same old ways of life. And you stop reading your Bible every day. You stop praying like you were doing every day. Your camp counselor or your small group leader is not there to encourage you along the way. And so the God whom you were so close to within a few months seems so distant. And this is our story, too. So the first thing you want to remember when it comes to understanding who we are as Methodists is that we have always been about seeking personal reformation. Uh, we've always been about seeking ways that we could come back to God. I mean, Jesus instruct, instructs the church at Ephesus. He says, remember our first, your first love and do the things that you did at first. And then we are to be about um, transforming spreading scripture holiness. We'll be, be about making a difference in this world for Christ. This is who we are. <clears throat> but John Wesley, when he tried to do that in his day and time, when he tried to call the, the church to reformation and call the priest back to uh, their first love and all the people there, a lot of people didn't like it. <laughs> in fact, he had a lot of opposition. <clears throat> Sometimes when you hear truth and you don't want to admit it, you make, it makes you angry. And that's what happened to John Wesley. A lot of people got angry at him. 
In fact, um, the other priests would not allow John to preach in their churches. And so John had to go to anywhere he could. He preached on street corners. He preached in the fields, anywhere he could. And what ended up happening is that more people started coming to hear him preach than they did going to the churches of the priests. Imagine how that made the priests feel. Uh, If I had told somebody that you can't come preach in our church because I don't agree with what you're preaching on, and um, I found out that after service they had put flyers on all of your cars out there saying, hey, if you want to hear a real preacher, come downtown this afternoon or whatever, I don't think I would have taken too kindly to that. Well, I don't think I would have gone as far as the uh, priest did in Wesley's day. They actually incited riots against him. They, they, uh, they had people that were paid to throw rotten tomatoes and eggs and even stones at him and to heckle him while he was preaching. They had people that uh, were preaching against him in their pulpits and questioning his character. They wrote articles in the local newspaper about him that were untrue. Uh, they told the officials whenever he would come to preach in their town that this man is inciting a riot. And there actually was a law against uh, riots in that day. It was called the Riot Act. And so the officials would go to Wesley and they would read him the Riot Act. That's where that saying actually came from. And they would arrest him and haul him to jail. Now, what would you do if you had people in the church (laughs) that were paying people to throw eggs and rotten tomatoes and stones at you when you tried to speak? They were heckling you and disrupting your speech. And they were writing things about you in the local newspaper that were untrue or they were preaching in their pulpits against your character? What would you do if you had people doing things like this, uh, arresting you and putting you in jail for false charges? Well, most of us would have given up. <laughs> most of us would have said, the heck with this, you know. Uh, <clears throat> you know, here I am trying to do what God wants me to do, but Lord, this is what I get? Forget this. But that's not what John Wesley did. And I think this is one of the marks of trying to be a Methodist. <laughs> is that we don't give up in the face of sin. We continue to try to persevere. We continue to try to, to, uh, to be persistent in the faith. When we get knocked down, we try to get up and keep going because that's what Wesley did. He eventually, he just wore out his opponents. He just kept going. Until eventually, when he got toward the end of his life, uh, they no longer uh, were writing stories about him and saying all these terrible things. He actually became a hero in the British Isles, England. And because he was persistent in pursuing the faith, he eventually transformed all the British Isles and even America in the early days. Methodist Christians, we try to be defined by the fact that we're unwilling to give up when it comes to pursuing the things of God. That's part of who we are. That's part of our DNA. And yet I fear that this resolve is going to be tested in the days ahead as we are living in a culture today that is becoming increasingly anti-Christian and um, unwilling or very low low tolerance of religious place in society. And finally, I think when it comes to understanding the heart and the character of being a Methodist, I want you to hear some words from John Wesley. These are his own words that he wrote. He was actually, this is a part of a tract that he was using to defend the Methodist movement in his day and time called the character of a Methodist. This is what he says. The distinguishing marks of a Methodist are not his opinions of any sort. His assenting to this or that scheme of religion, his embracing any particular set of notions, his espousing the judgment of one man over, over another, are all, kinds of, are all quite wide of the point, he says. 
Whosoever, therefore, imagines that a Methodist is a man of such or such an opinion is grossly ignorant of the whole affair. He mistakes the truth totally. What then is the mark? Who is a Methodist, according to your own account? I answer, a Methodist is one who has the love of God shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Ghost given unto him. One who loves the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. God is the joy of his heart and the desire of his soul, which is constantly crying out, Whom have I have in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My God and my all, thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I notice what Wesley says here. Methodism is not defined by some new theology. It was not some set of new ideas or new beliefs that Wesley came out with. Wesley was saying that we are about calling the Christian church into accountability to live out the faith that they claim to believe. It's about asking Christians to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. It's not some new theology that Wesley brought to us. He said the Christian movement, which was a part of the Methodist faith, is that we are asking the Christian church to be authentic. We're, we're seeking to be that ourselves, to influence the church around us. He said that being a Christian is more than just being a member of the church. It's more than being baptized and sitting on the pews or having your name on the roll. It is about pursuing God. It's pursuing the goal of the Christian life. And you know what that is, don't you? It's what Jesus told us. It is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is to love our as ourselves. John Wesley said that this two-pronged approach to the Christian life is what he defined as Christian perfection or Christian sanctification. Christian life is that we might be wholly devoted and surrendered to God. You strive to love God with all that you are. God is your joy. He's the purpose of your life. The things that God doesn't want you to do, you don't do. The things that God wants you to do, those become your life's ambition. You seek to bless others, to love your neighbors yourself so that they might see the love of God through you. And so I ask you a question this morning. Do you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Do you only do those things that God wants you to do and you never do the things that God doesn't want you to do? Do you always treat other people in the way that God wants you to treat them? Never speaking ugly or ill about them? Are you wholly submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Listen, in this track, at the beginning of the track, John Wesley says, I have not yet attained this. I have not yet attained this. But this is my goal. It is my desire to be that kind of Christian. And this is the mark of who we try to be as, as Methodists. Uh, this is why the emphasis of Methodism has always been on holiness, about pursuing God with our lives. This is the heart of a Methodist, which is really the heart of a Christian. And there may be some of you here today who are feeling like your faith has been growing cold over time. And you, you knew Jesus once. 
Uh, you were close to him. You knew his joy. But over time, you felt that dimly go away. You don't feel the closeness. You don't read your Bible like you used to. You don't pray like you used to. You sporadically go to church. And, uh, you found that you begin to go into habits that you know are not what God would want for your life. And so the invitation for you today is to come back. To come back to the love you had at first and to commit yourself wholly to God. For some of us here, we need to hear this message that comes from John Wesley in the sense of don't give up. Uh, maybe you're facing difficulties in your life, in your Christian walk. John would teach us, hold on. Don't give up. Listen, if you look over Christian history, you'll see that every person that had an impact for the kingdom of God over history faced hardships because of their faith. And so do we do the same thing. But those who made an impact in the Christian life, in the kingdom of God, were those who did not give up. They kept getting up after they were knocked down. They held on to the faith. And that can be our story as well. Now, if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, I'm not encouraging you to keep going for that, but if, if you're doing what God has called you to do in your life, then hold on. Stand firm. Keep getting back up. That may be what's going on in your marriage. You're trying to do God's will there. It may be you're trying to lead a family member or a friend to Christ or you're pursuing some other worthy cause. John Wesley would say to you, and God says to us, hold on. Stand firm. Keep going. And then finally, <clears throat> here is called to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And we know what that means. It is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It is to be wholly surrendered to God. And it is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The question is, is that the true desire of your heart? Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for how you welcome us back home when we're going astray. We're grateful that your Holy Spirit is not only our comforter, but it's our strength when we're facing adversity and it helps us to keep getting back up and persevering. God, I pray that you would help to raise up among us a new generation of Methodist Christians, people who are defined by their deep desire for your holiness who are defined by their desire to love you with all that is within us and to live out that love as we seek to reach out to others. God, we recognize that none of us are there yet. So we trust in your grace. But help us to make this our one desire. These things we pray in the name of Jesus.